to the J. Kim Show, Hong Kong's first dedicated podcast on investing in Asia. Join us as we survey the land and discover the greatest companies and most profitable investment opportunities in Asia. If this is your first time listening, thank you for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week with the goal of providing actionable insights to you, the listener, with every single episode. And now, on to the show. Hey, podcast listeners, just a quick reminder. My company, Explorer Equity Group, will be hosting the Hong Kong Regional Finals for the StartCon pitch for $1 million competition. StartCon is Australia's largest startup and growth event that is taking place at the end of November down in Sydney. And the winner of the grand prize will be awarded a $1 million term sheet from RightClick Capital. So if you're a startup founder, I strongly urge you to apply for a chance to pitch at the Hong Kong event on October 16th at the beautiful Campfire Collaborative Space in Taiku. The winner of the Hong Kong pitch will receive free flights and accommodations and a chance to pitch on the main stage for the grand prize of $1 million at the end of November down in Sydney. We'll be working with Startup Grand on the event, and in addition to seeing the pitches, you'll also have access to investors and keynote speakers. Also, if you aren't a startup or an entrepreneur, but you're an investor or you're simply interested in the startup ecosystem here in Hong Kong, I also urge you to sign up for the event. For more information, head on over to www.startcon.com forward slash pitch and click on the Hong Kong event page for more information. Okay, let's get on to the show. This week's show guest is Roger Heine, serial entrepreneur, co-founder, and CEO of Datum, a distributed database governing safe exchange and trade of data. Datum allows individuals to take ownership of their information so they can share it with businesses on their own terms. Roger, welcome to the show. Hi, Jay. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you on. So I've been, uh, you know, I've been slowly trying to do more research into blockchain and this sort of thing. And, uh, you know, luckily we had the chance to uh, meet and chat uh, not too long ago at the Startup Grind event. And so I thought it was a perfect opportunity for me to ask you to come on the show um, because I think that the project that you're working on is is quite interesting. And, um, and, and also you are uh, a practitioner within the field of blockchain and, um, and you've been doing it for quite some time, which I don't know if I can say the same for a lot of the projects out there. Anyway, Roger, please uh, introduce yourself to our audience. Yeah, so um, my name is Roger Henney. Um, I'm one of the three co-founders and also the CEO of Datum. Um, and so we set out um, to build um, Datum last uh, year, around June. Um, we then did a token sale to raise the funding. And what, what we're trying to achieve is to give everyone... Uh, their own digital identity. And when I talk about identity, we don't focus on kind of the only the basics like, you know, get your passport attached to your identity. But we see this more as something like your Facebook or Google account, which in fact is mostly used to attach other data to it so that um, apps and services can exchange um, this data and, and access this data. And we don't think it's right that, um, you know, these large companies are basically controlling uh, all the data that, that gets attached to these accounts. And we, we felt that blockchain um, really presented a unique opportunity to actually try and, and provide a decentralized um, alternative. And so that's what we're trying to do with Datum. Um, technically, it's really two things. The, the first thing is a, a decentralized data store. So you can't just store this data on, on Facebook or Google servers anymore. There needs to be a decentralized storage network. And then the second part is a data trading protocol. 
So we define um, how you attach uh, value to data, how do you define data, and then make it easy among developers to exchange um, and share this data. And, and all of this is controlled by you as, as an individual. And as a result of this, um, companies can also cut you in into any profit that is made uh, from your data. So when the data gets monetized, you can get a share of it. Got it. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so data nowadays, and and especially data privacy and this sort of thing, is is quite a hot topic, and it's uh, it's it's much talked about right now. And so, I think that this is quite a timely time for you to come and and share what you the project that you're working on. Uh, before we really dig into uh, to the specifics of of how your company or your project company works, um, maybe you could give a little bit of background on yourself as a entrepreneur and how you got into the whole block blockchain, uh, you know, the blockchain scene to begin with? Yeah, sure. So I, I dropped out of college to, to start a sort of web design agency that was just before the internet bubble. Um, and, and I did that um, for two, three years um, very successfully. At that point, all, all companies needed a website. Um, and that was just the time when dynamic websites were coming up. So I quickly mm -hmm. focused on doing that. Um, we were primarily using something called Cold Fusion, that was sort of a commercial precursor of, of PHP or ASP. And I, I quickly got into um, co founding a, a financial information portal. So a website where um, investors could get um, real-time streaming quotes. And that was only available on Bloomberg terminals at that time. And um, in some markets, the U.S., there were some websites where investors could access quotes. But um, in Switzerland and in Europe, where I was based, um, there wasn't really much available. Um, so I did that for a few years. Um, then I also co-founded... Um, uh, online um, uh, PC and component store in Switzerland. And then that grew to, to one of the largest independent um, e-commerce websites in Switzerland. And, and after that, I really focused on doing uh, early mobile apps. So those were the, the days when web was just introduced. So those were like kind of black and white um, uh, browsers on the phone and the first mm -hmm. uh, apps could be developed. So I did that for quite a long time. Um, and then during that time, towards the end of it, um, so, so around end of 2013, I, I, um, I basically started looking into Bitcoin and, and more specifically Litecoin and all these altcoins that were starting to pop up. So I've been following Bitcoin for a bit, but um, didn't really see... Uh, frankly, much potential in it at that time. But but what interested me was when when the prices started moving up, and um, th there was uh, yeah, there were all these altcoins being spawned off of uh, Litecoin, right? So people would fork mm -hmm. Litecoin, change the name, and try to create a a community around that. So so Dogecoin is an example of that, which was very successful. But there were many others. Um, I remember one was simply a China coin, and the premise was clear, right? So it's going to be the <laughs> coin for China. Um, yeah, and so I, I dabbled um, during that time in in basically adapting uh, mining pool software for these altcoins, and and also. Um, doing some uh, mining pools that could switch to the most profitable altcoin and also uh -huh. kind of focused on basically just exploiting the dynamic at that time in the market, which was that if you mine the coin in its very early uh, days or even hours, you, you could um, mine at a very low difficulty and get lots of coins. And at that time, the, the listing criteria on, on for example, Poloniex uh, was simply that, oh, you needed to have a Bitcoin talks read and it needed to be more than like five sentences on there. 
So it was very easy for those <laughs> coins to, to, to get listed, right? And, and ultimately, a market was created and, and you could sell these coins at a profit. And, and I did a lot of cloud mining at that time, which simply meant you, you would spin up like literally hundreds and sometimes thousands of, of cloud um, instances. So servers on Amazon, for example, just mm-hmm. for one or two hours. Um, which is actually then not that expensive. And, and since you can mine so easily in the first few hours, right, you could, you could basically get a lot of um, coins and then, and then basically later sell them off. Um, and that was also the time when Ethereum was created. So some of these projects were, were of course, larger than just doing a, a fork and changing the name. And um, yeah, but I, I kind of, uh, so I totally missed Ethereum and um, I kind of got <laughs> out of the space when the price went down and sort of flatlined, right? So I think Bitcoin went went to above 1,000 US dollars together with lots of these altcoins. Um, and then in, in early 2014 or so, it, it kind of went down to 200 US dollars, even lower and just kind of flatlined there. And uh, mm-hmm. after a few months, I thought, ah, this is kind of not, not going anywhere. Um, right. So, yeah, and then, you know, I, I did a, the two other um, startups in, in the meantime before then starting Datum. Those were kind of IoT um, uh, focused things. So one was a Fitbit for babies and the other was sort of a Bluetooth uh, mesh um, sensor network um yeah and then beginning of last year i i really felt like wow so ethereum was gathering lots of steam um and then not just in in the price action but also in terms of you know projects kind of starting to form on top of ethereum and as part of these um, iot startups so specifically with this fitbit for baby project um we had this big pain point that we were collecting very sensitive medical data. And then on top of it, it was from babies. And we tried right. to, to start to sing. And we collected over a million data points with, with some um, uh, kind of prototype devices. And, uh, yeah, we, we, we tried to, to start selling this data. And the big question was, well, okay, so where does this data come from? Did the parents give consent for this data to be sold? Um, and um, out, out of this really developed this... Um, uh, a kind of problem that hey why isn't there a solution where, where i as a developer don't have to take so much care right about the data so of course the data should be protected but but why do i have to to kind of develop all this stuff um myself and there were of course solutions for example specific for medical data and very mm. expensive kind of data warehousing solutions where, where they would handle all the kind of compliance for you but they didn't um, address the the user side at all so they didn't give back any rights to the user right or made sure that that the user understood what's happening and right. um, that's really how the the idea for datum um, developed right so we're saying hey why isn't there a data store where I as user can actually own my data and I can delegate access to this data as I see fit. So, you know, it's not Apple deciding who gets access to the health kit data that, that your phone is collecting, but it's really you that can decide that, right? And if there is a service or a developer that does a mashup of, of services that, that needs some data and you, you feel that service provides value, it, it should be you deciding, right, if you want to give permission for that to happen or not. And then also very importantly, again, the, this notion that it's really users that are creating a lot of the data nowadays and the users should be rewarded for this. Um, it's just sure. not right that, I mean, it, this is a, a, a commonly un- understood thing, right? I mean, I mean, 
in terms of Facebook and, and Google, you are really the product, right? Um, so whenever you, you're getting stuff for free, um, you, you are probably in the end the product. Um, and we just felt there was an opportunity there to, to try and see if, if we could change that a bit. Okay, so uh, it sounds like you, well, you certainly went after, uh, I guess it was, like you said, a pain point from when you were doing your um, Fitbit for babies. Uh, but also, this is this is quite a, uh, you know, it's quite a sort of a hot topic right now, um, particularly after sort of Facebook and the Cambridge Analytica, this whole data scandal, you know, and people are are more in tune now with the fact that your data is out there, right? So um, now... Specifically with Datum, uh, you know, maybe we can talk a little bit about exactly what the business model is, what the offering is of this service. How does uh, a consumer, like what's the user experience? Someone like myself, if I were to engage and, and want to basically sell my data, um, how, would, how would Datum help facilitate that? Yeah, so basically you can download our um, data map. And at the moment, this is just kind of sort of an, an MVP but ultimately, this, this will be the app that you can use to, to manage um, your, your digital identity and then also the data that is attached to that. And we're trying to get to the point where Datum is like your login with Facebook or login with Google um, alternative. Mm-hmm. Um, so that means any developers that are building apps can use our, our APIs to access your data, of course, with your previous permission. And again, the big difference is that not even us as Datum have access to your data. It's really just you controlling this, right? And if you're sharing data with some other company, um, that data goes directly only to that company. There is no middleman in the middle that has access to this. Um, and then in terms of um, actually uh, monetizing this data, of course, that mainly falls to the developer, right? So developers are building services. They may be collecting um, data on you and all their other users, and they may aggregate this data and, and find someone who is, uh, you know, willing to, to pay something for this data. And, and of course, the, the simple example is the advertisement sector. Um, mm-hmm. If you're building an app, for example, for a specific niche of users, it's, it's you know, usually easy to, to find some value in, in the data of your user base. Um, by selling this to advertisers, um, they can use this for targeting, right, and really kind of find the people or the, or, or, or the leads that, that they want, and they're happy to, to pay um, quite a lot for that, actually. So even in, in our MVP app, we, we have two data sources that you can add. One is basically background location data, and the mm-hmm. other is a general kind of sort of datum profile, that um, has some of your interaction with the Datum community embedded. So that means if you participate in our token sale or were active on our Telegram, things like that. Um, and just to give you an idea of the value of this data, so the location data is already aggregated at very large scale by many apps, but that data is really not worth that much. It's only about 10 US cents per month um, that an advertiser pays to get someone's individual location data or ultimately you know, use that for targeting versus um, your datum profile with your email attached. So we're paying out up to about five US dollars to the most qualified users just to receive one single uh, promotional email from an advertiser. And, mm-hmm. you know, as a user, if you look at this, and, and I had asked you without, you know, giving you values before, like, what do you think is, is, is more valuable, right? So your whole location history of a whole month, so every single place that you visited or receiving one email, and, and I think, you know, most users would say, well, my location data sounds pretty sensitive, so I would assume that's pretty valuable. 
Um, right. But that's just an example of, of, you know, when we're talking about data, it, it, it's often quite difficult to assess the real value of data. And ultimately, you have to look at what insights and actions can be taken on data. And that's actually why, why you know, just receiving one promotional email is so much more valuable because that's what the advertiser really wants to do. And the location data is just an additional data set that, that helps them, them target you. Um, yeah, and so this is what we're building. And of course, in, in the future, we, we are onboarding um, our first initial um, development partners now who are basically using our SDK, building their own apps on top of it. And all this data is attached um, to, to your one datum identity. And that creates a very interesting profile about you for advertisers. And of course, that's the same that Facebook and Google have. But what we do differently is that all this data is in your own control. So you can completely opt out of any advertising or, or any data sharing, or you can opt in, right, for specific cases or on, on a blanket permission basis. That's that's basically up to you. So this, like you said, this is actually a, a very strong use case for the being a blockchain technology, for having this uh, basically a decentralized database that you guys yourself at Datum dot uh, org cannot even access so in theory it's like a remove third party and the, the the trust issue is taken care of that way because it's not some listed company like facebook that has access to all this data this is a third party kind of locked like a vault that's so locked up there um and then so once uh once this gets developed uh how will it work it will it'll basically be say advertisers will be paying datum to access this uh, data and then Data will then uh, flow that uh, compensation onto the end user. Yeah, correct. So, um, but they're not paying Datum as a company, right? So that's also decentralized through our smart contract. So basically, they can go in and say something like, "I, I want to have um, you know one thousand users that um, are are based in Washington DC." Um, mm -hmm. and they can see that these users are available, right? But they, they, they don't know who the actual users are. Um, and then they can basically buy this, this targeting data through our smart contracts. Again, there is no intermediary. And, um, and yeah, and then each user gets individually um, rewarded for that. And then when the developers come into play, so let's say you're, you're building an, an, an app or a game. Um, mm -hmm. So you can basically ask your users if they want to opt in to, to have data, um, whatever data you collect on them attached to their data identity. And again, advertisers can use that to narrow down their targeting. And then if that data from that specific app or game is being used, the developer can take a cut of this data proceeds of the data sales and the other um, cut he can basically give to you as in as a user which creates an extra incentive for you as a user an extra reward right for for using uh -huh. this app um, and so a good example are for example these all these free um, weather apps right because those are the ones that actually have these location um, SDKs integrated that basically constantly monitor your location and send it to ad networks. And of course, when you installed this, this ad weather app initially, it asked you, well, can I, can I get access to your location? And, and you probably said yes, because you were, well, it's a weather app. So obviously, I want the weather of, of my current location. So sure. Um, but you don't know that that is happening, right? And you don't get rewarded for that. Um, and right. so that's really what we're, yeah, what we're going after. Okay, so quite interesting. So you're in the process now of, of basically curating developers to come on and, and build apps on top of the datum uh, 
basically the datum database, so to speak. Yeah. How do you? What What is that process like? How do you? Is there? I mean, there must be some sort of quality control as far as when you have developers come on. Um, is there any risk of breaching or hacking into uh, the the customer database? I mean, in my mind, look conceptually, this is um, Roger. It's a very good idea. Something that actually has uh, a real practical application to be on the blockchain. Uh, but of course, with data, there's always, you know, the biggest concern is sort of privacy and breach and hacking and this sort of thing. So sure. what, what do you, how do you feel about that? What measures? Have yeah. you put in place? So, so there's two, two aspects to that, right? So first on, on the security aspect. So where we um, completely differ from, from a normal centralized database is that each data record is encrypted with a unique key. Um, so not not you know there is not one key for for your um, data identity. Like literally each piece of data, a, a random um, password is created that is used to encrypt this piece of data. Um, and then when the data sharing happens, you are basically encrypting that specific um, password against the public key of someone who should be able mm -hmm. to access this. So it could be a developer or a data buyer. Um, so it creates kind of a one-to-one -one encrypted channel where the data flows through, and that channel only exists for that specific piece of data. Now, that is very different from your average centralized database because there you have something like a, a firewall and you have this huge database behind. And Either someone hacks it from the front, right? So they, they hack through your firewall and other protections. Many times administrators just leave a default password and things like that, right? Um, and that's how these, these large data breaches happen, right? So like um, Equifax lost like uh, over 100 million social security numbers, basically of every third American. Um, and so something like this can't really happen in our system because each record is individually encrypted and then there is no kind of central store for all of these passwords, right? right? Everything happens on a one-to-one -one basis on one piece of data. Um, now, the other things around data privacy, that's also really critical because companies now have to comply with the, the GDPR, the General Data Protection <laughs> Regulation in, in the European Union. And, and the US and Australia, many other countries have similar laws, right? And these laws are only getting stricter and stricter. So that means developers also have to take care about the whole legal aspect. So they have to get the proper consent from you and they have to take a lot of uh, kind of reasonable technical measures to actually protect this data, right? So in the future, it's not going to be okay in the case of Equifax, right, right? To just say, well, it's like, we, you know, we were unlucky, <laughs> like our database got hacked, right? So you're going to have to prove, well, did you guys actually take, you know, all the necessary steps right. to protect this data? And, and so with, with the, the tech that we're building, right, we're basically doing all of this for the developers so that developers can basically build, um, you know, sort of or, or use personal user data in a GDPR compliant way and compliant with many other data privacy laws w without having to build out all this kind of mundane infrastructure um, themselves. Right. Um well, that, Roger, it's 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 a very interesting project you're working on, and um, and and I think it's like I said, it's one of the the real practical use cases of of blockchain. On that same token, I want to uh, I want to t ask you uh, and, and talk a little bit about sort of uh, the the whole the whole space in general. You know, you guys successfully, uh, you know, you launched an, an ICO at, towards the end of last year, uh, and it was uh, it was it was a success. Um, and I feel like in the last sort of six to nine months, the entire blockchain crypto space has evolved 
it's gone from sort of this very hyped up type uh, type type space to now where people are are kind of uh, you know because the prices have come down and this sort of thing you know people are kind of like oh well I don't know it sounds kind of scammy ICOs are kind of kind of have a negative connotation to them attached uh, to projects now. Um, and then there's also the issue of because there's money and easy, quick money that can be raised via ICOs, a lot of these projects are reverse engineering uh, things that don't necessarily need to be on the blockchain. And this is something that we we, we had a discussion on this uh, last time we, we met up. So I wanted to just hear your thoughts in general. Um, and this will be for the benefit of people that aren't in blockchain or in crypto or, or aren't practitioners like yourself. What are your thoughts in general on sort of you know, how, where are we, are we in sort of inning number one or two of, of uh, 11, 12 inning game here that's, you know, I mean, it, it seems, it sounds like um, prices have run ahead uh, of, of, of actual sort of uh, real use cases on a lot of these projects and this sort of thing. So I, I'm just curious uh, your general thoughts on sort of the entire space as being someone that's working on a project in it. You know what? 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 What can you? What sort of broad strokes can you give to someone that say is just jumping into crypto right now? Sure. So, I mean, first of all, I I would say, um, as you already mentioned a bit, like like blockchain is is not the cure for all, right? And actually, um, when you look at these projects, like what what is essential for me is to identify if using blockchain or some sort of decentralization or you know even if it's just a token or financial aspect like what value add does that bring to to the pain point or or the solution that that the projects have um and the reason i say that is because blockchain for example from a development perspective it's like the most horrible development um, platform ever right so every time basically you call a function <laughs> in a smart contract you have to pay money for it so imagine you know your programming programming language <laughs> charges you every time you call a function and that's literally how it is and so you know i think end users are not really willing to accept um, any shortcomings in the user experience and and if you have done any sort of Bitcoin or Ethereum transactions, you all know it, it takes a while to do a transaction. And so there's right. really huge challenges in terms of, um, you know, providing an experience that is fit for the mass market. And so having said that, it's really important that that blockchain really adds such a kind of killer argument or, or just makes a, your solution so much better that people are basically willing to put up with with the other side, which is basically this bad user experience, right? And then if you look at the, the kind of classic killer use case of blockchain, which was basically payments, I mean, a lot of initial adoption was driven by people who wanted to have means of, of kind of anonymous payments, right, outside of the right. existing fiat system. And of course, um, these people didn't mind that, you know, it takes five minutes to, to, to do a Bitcoin transaction or to, or to get sufficient amount of confirmations and also didn't mind that, that it would cost them a few US dollars, right? Um, right. Which doesn't make it very competitive to, to like, you know, kind of modern uh, mobile peer-to-peer -peer payment offerings, right? And so, yeah, I think when, when looking at, at, at the projects and also the market in general now, it's, it's really important to ultimately focus on, hey, so what, what are people actually using blockchain for, right? And I, I think right now we see kind of the first steps. Of course, we had CryptoKitties, right, which was a big success. But it's right. interesting to see now that actually um, the, the usage of CryptoKitties now is, is, is extremely small, right? And that is one of the few real things that Ethereum is being used for. And, 
And then just to, to talk about Ethereum, um, the, the most used dApp, so decentralized application on Ethereum, is, is probably IDEX at the moment. That's a decentralized exchange. And, and they do anything between right. like 5 to 10 million US dollars of volume per day right through that. Mm-hmm. But just compare that to an exchange like Binance or so who does 1.5 billion in a day. And, and the, the, the reason, and one of the main reasons is Binance just has a much better user experience, right? Mm-hmm. So as a decentralized exchange, IDEX is very slow. It always fails, right? It's just the, the whole experience is not good. And, and that really shows in the usage numbers, right? So it's, it's an order of magnitude different. Um, and so I do think we, we have been in a bit of a hype cycle where, um, we, we, you know, we went far, to 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 um, advance into the future already, kind of hoping that you know all these problems would be solved by blockchain. And I think now there is a bit of phase of maybe disillusionment. So yeah. uh, you know people are are actually looking. Okay, what is actually being used on the blockchain? And and it's all kind of very basic. Kind of I, I would still say. Um, you know, kind of nerdy cryptocurrency stuff. So, um, you know, if you look at EOS, the most used um, dApp on there is is EOS Dice. It's basically what what Satoshi Dice and other stuff was. It's it's a simple dice game on blockchain, right? right? It's it's basically (laughs) gambling. And sure, that makes sense. But but you got to kind of take a step back and say, hey, so what are people actually using this for? So, okay, it's some, you know, kind of gambling or or a dice game. And um, yeah, so you know, I I'm I'm not sure kind of when when we're kind of really getting into the phase where where we see some adoption at scale, but right. it's safe to say that right now with with Bitcoin and Ethereum there there is massive challenges in in scaling, and of course many projects are are working on that right with um, the blockchains themselves. So Ethereum is trying to to scale the the blockchain itself through through, uh, sharding and proof of stake and so on. Then the projects themselves, the ICOs, can do things like state channels or side chains and so on. Um, But it's still really early days, right? And ultimately, you you still need to solve a real pain point in the real world. And blockchain kind of needs to really radically you know, improve that to, to make sense. Because even with the most slickest user experience right now on blockchain, there will still be lots of shortcomings on, on for, the, for the average end user, right? And I, I think so realistically, we're still, you know, probably at least a year or two away, um, um, I would say, till, till we really see a killer app on blockchain that really goes, goes out of just, you know, kind of making anonymous payments. Right, right, absolutely. Um, so, having gone through an ICO, successful ICO, and and given the fact that we are sort of in the, this uh, uh, somewhat of a confusion part of the cycle where people are kind of worried, and there's there's been a lot of scams, and people don't know if you were say a uh, you know a blockchain entrepreneur wanting to get into the space, and you wanted to uh, to, uh, to to run an ICO. Uh, what what would be like a, a quick advice that you would give uh, other other than don't do it? <laughs> um, you know, I think one of the things that you mentioned that was a benefit from your ICO above and beyond, in fact, the the the, mo- the money itself was building that community, which essentially are sort of your early adopters, your early champions of the project that will help you help you scale right down the line. So. Yeah, so I think that's a bit similar to to like kind of when Kickstarter started. Um, so if you did an ICO last year, right, you, you were still able to kind of gain lots of public traction. But realistically, right now, there's just too many 
um, ICOs around and they and they start to raise um, less and less um, money in, in so-called public sales, right? right. So already many months ago a lot of the ico market started shifting to more like private um placements right so whether that's called private pre-sale or or whatever and 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 they basically um focus mostly on accredited investors so right. it changes the the game completely right so it's it's much harder to to build this initial um community and that's also a bit what what happened on, on kickstarter at some point right so when when it started like you you um in, you know, kind of random projects with a great idea could, without doing any marketing themselves, just by the power of Kickstarter, right, um, find a few hundred or thousand people that would back a project. But nowadays, realistically, you, if you want to do something on Kickstarter as well, you have to put a lot into marketing. And that's no different with ICOs. And, and I think kind of this, this kind of era of really these large public um, ICOs seems a little bit over. It's just kind of getting too costly now to, to do the marketing for that. And, um, and many projects also realize that um, um, it's much easier to do this kind of private sale to accredited investors. Right. So, so that means we're almost kind of going back to more traditional venture capital structures um there's there's usually just a token in, in involved as well and and some token economics um but then also what what, what i'm seeing in the market is actually many of these um, um uh, the kind of you know accredited investors and traditional VCs and so on are basically asking for equity as well right so they're saying well look this token thing is interesting and your token economy may or may not make sense right who, who really knows there are many yeah. many you know proven models that we can <laughs> look at so you know we also want some some equity um it's probably more likely that you stumble up on you know solving some pain point and, and maybe able to monetize that in a more traditional way than you know really all of these projects creating these these you know kind of self-sufficient token economies that that actually work and then also you know provide value back to um to token holders right and we're also like i mean actually really so the market is heavily correlated at the moment, which means when Bitcoin and Ethereum goes down, many of these kind of projects go down as well. And there's a few that can sometimes decouple and there's kind of two main dynamics at play. So one I've been seeing a lot is, is this whole notion around staking, right? Where, where basically people can put up um, uh, or, or buy a stake and, and then can earn some sort of um, revenue or dividend or, or whatever it is. And, and the other thing is that some projects are simply doing is that they, they found ways to monetize whatever they're building in a more traditional way, which, which means they, they just send an invoice somewhere and they make some money. And then they use parts <laughs> of this money to buy back their own token. And then burn these tokens, right? Uh, so the idea there is that with restricted supply, um, your, your token price may go up if, if there is demand. And I'm just interested to see, I mean, if that becomes a very regular thing, it's a not much different from running a, a, you know, just a normal company and not really creating a token economy, right? Because you right. sort of have external revenues completely outside of, of the blockchain. You just take that fiat money and use it to buy back your own token. And, and um, yeah, so I, I hope it's not going to end up th that way, right? That, that right. that's going to be the standard model. I do hope that we, we are going to see some more interesting um, token economics at play, right? Yeah, absolutely. And but I also appreciate Roger your realism because it's you know, uh, I think there's a lot of extremes especially within blockchain and some people think that it's, you know, the the next best thing since uh, 
sliced bread or whatever. But um, you know, I mean, there's 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 there is a real potential for for this to to become a token economy and 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 a lot of great things can happen. So hopefully it'll it'll go that direction and maybe not to the extreme that some of the people way out there are, are, are believing the maximalists, but we shall see, I suppose. Um, so as far as uh, Roger, your goals for Datum in the next year, couple of years, uh, what do you hope to achieve? Is there anything, uh, any data points that uh, you're particularly excited about that you'd like to share? Yeah, so I mean, it's it's always hard to project these kind of things, right? But we we were able to build a community or, or actually acquire about 60,000 users on our web and mobile apps. And those were just kind of the MVP implementations. Um, so, you know, within a year, we're, we're really looking to to get to a, a million sort of scale uh, user base. Um with people that have a datum identity, um, that also then creates, you know, the important critical mass to for, to make this really attractive for developers um, who want to easily onboard right new users, and and even better if these users come with very rich data profiles attached. Um, yeah, so that's kind of sort of the, the mm-hmm. you know kind of short term um, goal. Like long term, over a few years, we we really hope. Um, you know, will be one of the options or alternatives that you have if if you basically don't want to give Facebook and Google um, all your data. And so it's really about you know having this self sovereign identity and having all all the data that should really belong to you attached and under your own control to to this identity. Right. Um, so I want to let's look to wrap up here, but I wanted to ask you just a couple more questions. Um, so this one's kind of fun and uh, you can answer it however you want. So, I mean, people have said that in within the crypto blockchain space, the time is sort of compressed or accelerated, uh, whichever way you want to call it. But basically one year is the equivalent of, I don't know, five years, maybe in normal uh, tech startup scene. Um, so let's say in four years time from now, how, what, what does the space look like? In addition to Datum being one of the <laughs> uh, leading, uh, you know, uh, sort of uh, uh, applications out there, um, what, 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 what does the landscape look like? Are we still looking at, um, you know, thousand plus projects that are floating around that are still trying to get become, you know, valid, 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 validate their use cases? Um, or are we going to see sort of a consolidation? Is uh, is Bitcoin still going to be dominant? Is Ethereum still going to be around? Uh, what about the rest of the top 100 uh, tokens out there? What does this all look like to you in, in four years' time, let's say? Sure, yeah. So, uh, so first of all, I think we're, we're going to see literally like, you know, hundreds of thousands of tokens, right? That's that's the whole point about tokenization. I mean, basically, you can take your apartment and tokenize it, right? right. And, and give give shares out to everyone. So that, that I think, is on a, only going to scale up. Um, and um, in, in terms of the kind of like the larger projects, um, so now we're kind of in this early explorer phase, right? And I, and I do think, you know, some of the big incumbents will, will, of course, survive. But I do think in four years, it may very well be that, you know, there is a new player only one year old that, you know, just kind of learned from everything that the previous mm-hmm. blockchains and projects did wrong and just manages to, to really disrupt, um, you know, some, some of the big um, blockchains um, or, or tokens out there. Uh, so I, I would be very surprised if like the let's say top 20 on coin market cap looks anything like it does now in, in 20 years um, uh, or in, in four years. Right. right. And I mean, yeah, for Bitcoin and Ethereum, I, I do think there, 
so those are the huge incumbents, right? And and, and like Bitcoin's case, Bitcoin is kind of used as a digital gold now, or or kind of just store of value. Right. Um, and it's kind of a bit hard to dethrone that because you you can't really improve on that concept much more if everyone just keeps you know believing or using Bitcoin for that purpose. But then when it comes to Ethereum and all these chains that actually you know try to run DApps and provide utility, I mean. Um, you know, I'm I'm still super bullish on Ethereum, but uh, but you know, with any with all like EOS and Tezos and these other projects, right? So if you provide um, a much better experience, then by all means, I I do think you know Ethereum c- could could also be easily um, disrupted, right? And I, I would actually fully expect that to, to to happen. Who knows with Ethereum, but definitely with with many of the other chains, right? And if you look at the blockchain space itself, what happened over the last three years, I mean, a lot of the the successful projects now are also iterations of previous experiments, right? So just look at the history of EOS, the projects that the, the EOS founders had done before, um, Steam it, right? And and so so these were like early iterations um, that are getting more refined, and I, I fully expect the same thing to happen. So in in four years. Bitcoin may still be there in Ethereum, but I would otherwise think the top 20 on coin market cap would look pretty different. And I do expect to... So if you look at the top 20 now, it's all kind of core infrastructure blockchains, right? But I do think that there is a, a place for kind of utility token that, that solve like, you know, very general um, um, problems. I wouldn't be surprised to see a few actually kind of utility tokens um, be in that top 20 in, in, in about four years. Yeah, that's 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 pretty interesting. But I mean, you, you you're you're absolutely right, Raj. I mean, this this sort of thing happens in tech all the time, right? Web 1.0, you had a, a slew of companies, and Web 2.0, they just improved upon it, you know. And uh, wh- wh- where we're at now, like we don't know, but I would I would tend to agree with you. I mean, um, you know, other than I guess Bitcoin because of sort of the unique properties it has, uh, everything else is uh, fair game to be disrupted, right? Um, yeah. So as far as, uh, you know, uh, last couple of questions, Roger, and thanks again for your time and, and for, for sharing the project. You know, I mean, it's, it's quite exciting what you're doing. And obviously, we're looking forward to seeing the progress that you make. Um, second to last question is, um, again, if there's uh, one piece of advice, I mean, you, you've basically been an entrepreneur in every single aspect of technology, I think, uh, from sort of, uh, you know, uh, web design to e-commerce to uh, cryptocurrency and mining and even uh, a little bit of telco type stuff. So you've, you've pretty much seen the entire spectrum. If, if there's a piece of advice that you can give from your many years of entrepreneurship and building companies um, to 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 some a younger entrepreneur that maybe wants to get into blockchain or maybe just wants to get into tech and do a startup, what would that piece of advice be? Yeah, so for me, it's really kind of focus and focusing on 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 the pain point and doing a lot of kind of um, customer discovery, right? So, um, and and that is a, you know an advice very widely given by by you know many great accelerators and incubators as well. And and um, we we've been through a similar thing with with Datum as well. Just just try to find before you even build something. Basically, you need to be able to find some customers, right? And I, um, if you can't convince someone to be a customer just basically off of your napkin drawing or a slightly more elaborate um, pitch, then there is a high chance it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. And then 
with, with something like blockchain, I see so many people that say, yeah, but once we build the solution, right, we, we can't like get the customers now or demo it now, right? So we have to build out the whole thing and, and then they will come. But um, if you try and do that in the blockchain space, you're, you're in for, for hell, right? Because it, blockchain is, is, it tends to be much more complicated to develop on than other things. So you, you simply don't have the resources and time, right, to, to build out um, fully functioning stuff. So basically early, early customer kind of discovery and kind of validating the pain point that you're trying to solve. Right. That's uh, that's that's sound advice for any type of entrepreneur that wants to break in and, and do their own company. Um, well, thanks again, Roger. Uh, last question is basically uh, where can people find you, follow you, learn a little bit more about Datum and, and maybe even sign up for uh, updates on your on your projects? Yeah, sure. So um, we got our website at datum.org and we're on Twitter at Datum Network and um, we're also on Telegram at Datum network so um yeah that's where we can be found fantastic so we'll have that all linked up in the show notes and uh once again thanks for your time and uh roger we're looking forward to uh to following and tracking your progress you know i'm i uh i i'm i'm quite interested in what you do and you know obviously uh since you guys are somewhat based here in hong kong you know it's i have a soft spot for uh, my local hong kong uh comrades so we hope sure. to uh to see uh some success coming out of your project so yeah. thanks again thanks for having me all right take care thanks i hope you enjoyed today's episode all the show notes and links can be found over at jkimshow.com come back often and make sure you subscribe rate and review Don't forget to join us next week for another exciting episode of The J. Kim Show. I'd love to hear your comments. You can find me on Twitter at jkimmer, J-A-Y-K-I-M-M-E-R. See you guys next week. This podcast is brought to you by Hack Your Fitness, the high achiever's guide to getting ripped in under three hours a week. If you're anything like me, you're probably working a full-time job or jobs and trying to find time to balance family life, social life, and last but not least, fitness. Look, I get it. I'm a full-time investor and entrepreneur myself and father of two. So how am I able to stay fit year-round without spending hours and hours in the gym killing myself on the cardio machine? After struggling for the last 15 years trying every workout and diet under the sun, I finally designed a system that allows me to achieve and maintain single-digit body fat for life in under three hours a week. Cardio not required. Head on over to hackyour.fitness and download my free 13-page guide that teaches you the simple science behind efficient fitness and smart nutrition and gives you everything you need to know to finally take control of your life. That's hackyour.fitness.